0: And welcome to the show. Really appreciate having you on today.
1: Thanks so much, Chef. Excited to be here. Love your backdrop. I'm a former UCLA Bruin, so you know, good stuff.
0: Yeah, that's funny. I'm a UCLA Bruin as well. Oh uh, yeah, I you,
1: remember that. You what, ever
0: make it back? Yeah, do you ever make it back to Westwood to just get back on campus, maybe reminisce or catch a game?
1: Once in a while, my my sister went there. My brother in law went there, and my nephew just confirmed that he'll be going there and playing water polo this next year. So, um, so I get back to LA a decent amount and swing by the brew, the Bruin store. You know, run the trail, the perimeter around. So, yeah, it's a good spot.
0: That's amazing. Now, that's a family that's making all the right moves in life. Obviously, going <laughs> to the greatest university on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> <Got> it. <laughs> All right. For anyone who went to other schools who are like, like USC, for example, not saying anything bad about you, just saying how great are my own personal experiences. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, before we talked uh, here, we had a little bit of prep and we we're just kind of shooting the breeze around your consulting firm. I want to get to that in a second. But we talked about the importance of RevOps and in particular, you know, RevOps needing to be, you um, Absolutely instrumental in governing the go-to-market motion. I'd be curious to hear a little bit about your background and the relevance around helping shepherd or develop that go-to-market motion.
1: Yeah, sure. So my background, you know, I've been working for 20, 20 plus years, really focused on first finance, um, commercial operations, go-to-market operations, revenue operations, whatever you want to call it. It's morphed and it's branding over the years as well as well as analytics. So I always like to say I'm a very data-oriented operations business leader. And I think you can kind of see that come through in terms of the role that I think RevOps plays in, in shaping the go-to-market. Really, using data to inform like what's really, really working well, using it to inform, you know, what the right process is. I like to say that a lot of people define go-to-market strategy very differently. And probably the best person to help shape that go-to-market strategy is RevOps for that multidimensional view that they have of the go-to-market because they partner so cross-functionally. I like to think of it as, you know, what are the problems we solve for our customers? How do we solve those problems? How do, what do our solutions look like? How do we differentiate ourselves? And then once we really make that well understood in the market and with our buyer, how do we create a really repeatable process by which our sellers and our CS and account management teams manage their deals through?
0: Now, that's really cool. I remember when I was searching for jobs at UCLA, I remember their job titles like sales planning analysts, <laughs> right, uh, demand <laughs> side operations. You know, you saw all sorts of different titles that probably aren't found today, and it seems like the industry has settled on RevOps. I think it's probably catchier than, say, go-to-market operations. Now, I'd be curious to hear from you about your journey about picking up the kind of the hard and tactical skills that were needed for your success, and then how did you complement that with kind of the soft skills, managing up, working with peers, working cross-functionally? Be curious to hear about that intersection as you started climbing up in your career.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. And, and you're right. You know, I started out in finance, so I had a lot of those kind of like technical reporting skills. I always had a, um, a soft spot in my heart for systems. I think my first systems implementation exposure was, was a billion dollar SAP project at my first company, just, just like a small little company out there. Um, And I found that I really understood like systems architecture off the bat, um, maybe because back to those UCLA days, I did study engineering for about a year and a half. So I think I I had that that foundation. Um, But as I saw over the course of my career, I really and part of the reason why I entered operations in the first place from finance was I deeply wanted to understand how the business was operating. I wanted to understand more than just the numbers. Like what was happening on the ground? What activities were people doing on the ground? How were they actually managing their workflow to drive those outcomes? And that was something that I just found myself over and over again, deeply curious about. So a lot of, you know, probably the first 10 years was really around cross-functional project management, um, project implementation, reporting. But then as I started to get into the more senior levels of my career, so leading teams, moving into a VP role, being on executive teams, I realized that what got me to those first 10 years and having a lot of success, being somebody who really you know got things done quickly, um, moved with speed, very data-oriented, very process-oriented, needed to shift. And it was much more about how am I ensuring that I have others in the boat with me? How am I ensuring that they're bought into this change and that I'm really bringing like their voice to the table? And so I think that is something that when I think about you know RevOps and executive RevOps leaders or even like CROs and um, executive revenue leaders, their number one job is to align the org. And so that is the number one soft skill. I think that if you wanna be like a senior RevOps executive, you need to start honing in on that quality.
0: So I keep thinking of a couple of things. One, we have a remarkable, similarly, remarkably similar background. I was a, you know, a rehabilitating consultant post UCLA, <laughs> then FPNA, and then I also moved into go-to-market operations. I found that those Excel modeling skills came in so handy when I was exposed to the backend, you know, data warehouse. It's like, oh, a left join is actually very similar to a, a V lookup. Oh, okay, I can, I can, yeah. I can rock with this. Let's let, let's let's stand on that. And then the same thing as you, you know, the hard technical skills, you become the trusted center. People go to you because you're the person that can answer a question within seconds, maybe a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always think about, you know, the folks that I hire on my team, how do I get them to that place where I say, look, you're coming in and yes, your hair's on fire. You're drinking from the fire hose, but at some point you're the, well, people are going to come to you for specific buckets of water because you are the expert. You have those technical level two, level three skills. And then when you get to that level four, you're solving problems on my behalf. You're walking up to me saying, I've identified a problem, I already solved it, but here's some of the options. If you want the detail, here's the detail. And that's when I know that someone is starting to move you know, further up in their career. And, and you know, that's, that's great joy that I see as a leader, seeing other people um, you know, move forward. It's also a great way to get the entire unit to a place where, you know, the, the sum is greater than, you know, the sum, uh, the output is greater than the sum of its parts. I, you know, always think about that.
1: Oh, 100%, 100%. The multiplier effect of, you know, I'm a big believer, shining it up to interrupt you, Jeff, but big believer in operating as a cohesive unit you know, and, and that like, if you are able to run and really pull out people's strengths, you're going to get a lot more out of that collective team than each individual. So it's really good for your team member to understand, like, what do you uniquely bring to the table? You know, I, I've had, I've managed people from hardcore engineers to data scientists to, um, you know, let's see content marketers, to CRM administrators, to strategists, and they each bring such a different nascent strength to the table. And it's my job to really understand those strengths and then kind of like get out of the way, honestly, for, and give them the space to shine. But, you know, you, you, you honed it on something that I also deeply agree with, which is that the way that you earn the right to be at the table and have credibility is by being a subject matter expert. You know, So find that subject matter expertise. You can't be the BSer who's talking up here at the start of your career. You don't get to do strategy, I think, until you really understand how that strategy gets implemented. So I do a lot of strategy, but I'm a very bottoms up strategist, which is why, frankly, my strategies get implemented
0: successfully. Now, that's amazing. That one letter that comes to mind is the letter T in T-shaped career. I think we spend a lot of our careers climbing up certain technical paths. And so you become a deep expert in either technical skills or a specific business unit or a specific industry. And then as you rise up, you're in a position where you're having to manage others. And you just talked about having to manage a data scientist, folks in content marketing. I mean, those are completely different skills. And the fact that you've been able to lead those means to me that you have to have the ability to you know, put that cross on the top of that T. And so alignment, the focus on alignment a little bit. I would love to hear, like, you know, when was the first time you realized, oh shoot, I have to kind of change tack in order to drive alignment? It's not just being specific about the numbers or some sort of um, on time budget delivery or project delivery. You know, when was the first moment you were like, oh wow, like this alignment is something that I need to start honing in on?
1: Oh yeah. I remember the time in my life. (laughs) So I was I was at Medallia. Um so I was at Medallia right after moving back from Africa and I did my first job at Medallia as director of sales operations and analytics, and then I was tapped to um, build out the BI function. So there was no BI function when I joined, and we had to like develop the strategy and what technology we're going to implement, whatnot. And to be really frank, I you know I saw the path. I think being you know systems thinker, somebody who deals well with a lot of complexity. I don't know if you feel this way, but I can often kind of see the path through that complexity pretty clearly. That can be a strength, but it can also be, I think, a, a detriment if if you're moving way too quickly and you haven't brought people along. And if I'm honest, right as I was trying to build out the initial strategy for BI, I think I might've just been like whacking people on the head with it. <laughs> like we have to do this. I see the path. This is the path from A to Z to get there. I've mapped it all this project plan. Let's go. And it was, I think I hadn't paused to really cultivate the importance of creating space for them to ask questions, to realize that like people are at a different stage in their journey of realization of in this case, they need to adopt BI. And I had to meet them really where they were and also make space for their feedback versus just bulldozing my way through. And so that was, um, when I think back on that moment, it or that time in my life, I mean, it was, it was frustrating, but I, I always think back to a woman, her name's Jess Phelps. She's actually like a executive coach. And we were lucky enough to have her in-house in our HR department where I had a meeting with her and she's like, you're going to have to really lean into your feedback hard here. And you're going to have to probably really slow down. And, and that's, that's going to kind of like be the way that you're going to get past this. And it, it it really sticks out to me because I had to look introspectively and be like, the way i'm doing this is just not working you know and so that that um the first go at bi and getting that signed off didn't happen but then um taking that feedback in and actually partnering on the ground with the business stakeholders around a problem they needed to solve and it just so happened that our bi infrastructure was going to be like a path to solve it ended up getting approved the second go around but i it had to become something that tied into an area that they already cared about. So it wasn't just my voice shouting from the rafters alone.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think there's a double-edged sword here, right? Because you're highly capable. You have seen the path. You can also see the future path ahead of you. And in some cases, the team you know that reports to you or your stakeholders that work with you, they admire the ability for you to bring that crystal clarity. But at the same time, it's like, well, okay, everyone is at a different path you may have to slow down in certain cases. And by slowing down, you're actually moving fast because you're getting them caught up. And once they're caught up, I mean, who knows, right? Like you're empowering that person to bring their best A game. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I've been in the same boat before where, you know, I've actually bear hugged certain projects because I've just felt they played to my strengths. And I thought to myself, if I don't bear hug this thing, this project might go off the rails. And it had some unintended consequences to it, right? Like you know, RevOps, unfortunately, or fortunately, how you see it, you have a wide mandate, you have more than just one project on your plate, and you want to make sure that you're able to juggle and spin those different plates in the air and communicate effectively to your stakeholders where all those different initiatives are.
1: Yeah. And you know, as you were talking, Jeff, I had another thought if I could add in, (laughs) This this is getting really vulnerable, but I think it's important because it's something that I also had to frankly, like, look at myself and decide I needed to act a bit differently. And and I've also seen this in other RevOps practitioners sometimes we burned is sometimes you have to not be the person who thinks they're the smartest person in the room. You know, like you might know to what we were talking about earlier, something at a level of depth and a level level of um detail that nobody else is going to know. And maybe that got you to where you were leading in with all that detail and with all of that expertise. But one thing that I've learned over my career is if you bombard people with that level of information, they just like tune out, right? And it's a really great way that even if you're trying to make, perhaps in my case, establish credibility, you lose credibility quickly because no one's listening anymore. And so there was this element where I was like, okay, maybe I see the path. Maybe I know like exactly where this is going to lead, but I can't go in like, professing myself to have it all figured out. Like, that's not going to win any friends, you know? And so again, these are those softer aspects of like how you effectively manage change. And, you know, I even was um, writing something yesterday that, you know, as a consultant, some consultants I've seen, you know, they want to come in here and they want to save the day, um, but it's not your job to be the hero. Your job is to make your customer and your client and the internal people in that client, the hero. Your job is to unearth what makes them the hero and expose that, Right.
0: Absolutely. So that's a great segue. I wanted to dig into a little bit about, you know, where you are now, you've transitioned into, you know, a solopreneur, really launching your consulting practice. First, you know, why the switch? Just love to dig into that a little bit.
1: Yeah, um, Gosh, it's something that I I was kind of like thinking about for a few months, but you know, I've been a five-time startup operator since moving back to the US and worked in big startups, small startups, 100-person companies to 1500-person companies, pre-IPO to post-IPO. And and I really enjoyed it. Um, but I just found that instead of just working within one company, and generally companies would bring me in around series B, series C. And I always say they brought me in, it was always like six months to a year too late, right? They're like, man, everything is breaking. We need to scale. We need a head of robots. Can you come in and help us embed all of this? And so the first six months were just fun unpacking all of that. I started to realize like, wow, so many companies are getting to the state, I think a little bit late in the game. What if they had invested earlier, had something really driving and unifying their go to market? What would that have done to their growth trajectory? So that was a, a question I kept asking myself. And that coupled with the economy, um, that there are, there's a dry up of VC funding. And then frankly, like as I had departed my last company and decided what is my next step? Do I want to go back in-house? I mean, I was, I was interviewing for SVP optuals. That could be really exciting, but I I wasn't as excited about that as I was about the prospect to really like write my own destiny, be my own manager select the clients that I found really exciting that were either building products or had teams or a product, a problem that I could really help with. That just seemed so exciting. I kept coming back to that. So I really paid attention to the level of excitement and enthusiasm I felt within. And um, it just so happened to coincide with probably within a week or two of leaving my company, five to eight unsolicited inbound leads coming in asking if I did RevOps support. So it was real market validation that there's a need for what I have. And I think I can help these people.
0: Absolutely. Are, are you being brought in under what scenarios? Contingency? Fractional. Yeah,
1: I, I operate. So my company, Ignite Consulting, it is a solopreneur. I'm a team of one. People are like, are you going to expand? It's like three months in. It's too early, folks. But um yeah, typically there's three ways that I engage. My my ideal is a fractional go-to-market executive, which I'm I'm an interim CRO in one of my orgs. I'm also an a fractional RevOps executive and a couple others. Um and so I'm doing anywhere from you know one day a week with clients to my largest client is three days a week. Right. Um, I also have companies that just say, hey, I don't maybe need that much time per week, but I want to get some advice from you. Now, there are companies that I'm a formal advisor to them. There are others who are like, I just want to have some ad hoc time to get feedback on you being a a multi-time RevOps buyer, helping me understand what that looks like, or maybe just general RevOps advisory. Um, So there's like advisory fractional and then there's this other one that's more bespoke consulting engagements to be honest that's like if you really specifically know you have this problem you need to solve for i can come in and help you with that but i probably lean more towards fractional and advisory i think that's my sweet spot
0: yeah i think that plays to your strengths as well right like i think if you're early in your career doing the kind of project delivery short burst six to twelve week engagement Deliver a specific program or initiative, maybe even a technical a technical component to it. But the fractional advisory, I mean, you can't get that unless you've been there, you've seen it, right? One hundred percent. Yeah, you've you've gone the war, um, wed uh, against or wed certain executives, and you kind of see the game unfold and you know how leaders stink. I think that's very different. And then there's a whole category of startups who are looking for seasoned RevOps leaders like yourself, and they're asking for. Uh advisory. And I think this is a kind of a new shape where they're looking for uh help with product, the the market formation, persona, getting into the buyer psychology. I think, I think that's usually valuable. I can't tell you how many, how many emails I'm getting in my inbox and LinkedIn sure. from new startups trying to sell me something or at least um, you know, pick like, quote unquote ask for feedback.
1: <laughs> oh, the can I pick your brain for 20 minutes? You know, you, yes. you can't do that or you'll do no work. I, And, you know, it's interesting, you bring up something, you know, Jeff, especially since we have similar backgrounds um, being kind of like very systems oriented, data oriented leaders, like, yes, done revenue strategy, yes, done rev ops, but to your point, a lot of what I advise companies that I advise or even these light touch advisory aren't just on their go to market, it's actually on their product. Because if you think about it, who do I think is best equipped to advise on product? The teams that are implementing it. And usually those teams are RevOps. You know, somebody decides they need something. Now you need to make sure that it gets implemented correctly. You need to make sure that it gets adopted, that you understand what like the, the, advanced, the basic to advanced features are and how those help solve the problems in-house. So you have a really good perspective to shape a product roadmap for a go-to-market organization and the subgroups within. And that's actually something like I love doing. Maybe it's because when I was in the BI world, I was sitting in the CI org managing all the different tech, but um, that's something that's kind of emerged as 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 I think a real also sweet spot for, for somebody with our type of background.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. The last couple of years I've had the opportunity to lead uh, an SDR org very temporarily. I've had the opportunity to play the role of sales enablement and lead sales enablement at several shops. And I, I quite yep. frankly love writing like cold call scripts, reading through emails, being a grammar Nazi <laughs> and <laughs> editing, oh, <wow. laughs> uh, trying to get e- cold copy down the hundred words or less, how to work with product marketing and content marketing and find, you know, where do you give value? And then how do you measure those call to actions and bring them back through your conversion funnel? Those are things that I actually really, really love. I remember that in the early days, I spent a lot of time with Salesforce because when I took my first sales ops job, they said, look, we want your, a lot of your finance skills, a lot of the data analytics, but we also need this thing, we need this help with this little thing called Salesforce. We need it to be configured I was like, I've never used Salesforce in my entire life. here I was solo, team of one, leader of operations. And I didn't know what I signed up for when I took the role. And I remember thinking, I got to get, get really good at Salesforce, like real fast. And so I remember paying for my own course, um, getting certified a long time ago, Uh, And a lot of time on stack overflow, like a ton of stack overflow. And uh, that really ramped up the technical skills, but it's those, you know, you find little random joys in your role throughout the years and you just really don't know who you are until you go through it for, so I'd be curious to see what you learn as you go through like your solopreneur and consulting journey, which is different from your in-house operating persona.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's, it's, it's going to also be interesting because one of the things I loved about being in-house was leading and building teams. You know, I, I built teams from scratch. Every company I went into, they had like one or two people. And then I built them into multi-function, anywhere from 15 to 20 people also ran a couple of sales development teams in my time and, and figuring out how to unify those. And it's going to be interesting in that now I'm not, I'm not in-house necessarily building. Sometimes, sometimes people are like, hey, come in and help us with org design, Anne. Okay, come and help us with org design for the go-to-market. Great, I'll do that. Or Anne, come and help us hire a head of RevOps, be our interim. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's great. I can be your interim. I can help you get the right person in here. Then I can graduate myself out of a job and you can have a full-time hire. Perfect. But it, it I think one thing I'm curious to see um, how much I'll miss is having that kind of people development aspect to my role. I'll get some of it through fractional because a core part of my fractional roles is mentorship, which I, which I enjoy, but it's a little bit different than, you know, building the team, running the team as, as you get in an in-house role.
0: That's awesome. By the way, I see like tropical trees. Are you still in Hawaii?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I am still in Hawaii. I'm here for the next couple of weeks. Sorry. Yeah. I had to, I had to move over here because my kids just got home from the beach. So I didn't want them coming into our call.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, tell me about the the best part about being in Hawaii the last couple of weeks.
1: Oh gosh. Where do I even begin? So I'm in Hawaii and I'm working West coast hours, which means I start five 30 or six every day when, and I'm not a morning person, but I am in Hawaii. The best part about that is I get up in the morning I have my cup of coffee, I listen to the birds chirp, I kind of chill out. And then I'm usually done by one-ish Hawaii time. And then we go to the beach or the pool every single day. So I think the best part is, it's just like a recalibration of life. Um, I, I call Hawaii, it's like health camp. Like we leave, we're more rested. We have tans. We we are our, our clothes fit a bit looser, and you know we we got just we're a lot more relaxed as a result of being in the islands.
0: Oh, absolutely! Uh, hang loose and shaka! Enjoy your time out there. Now, <laughs> uh, I do want to end with a little career advice for anyone listening to the pod who's a little earlier in their career. You know, what are what's one or two p- uh, little nuggets that you'd like to uh, impart with it to them?
1: Oh gosh, can I ask for a little bit more insight? Like when I'm saying anybody early in career, what what type of profile am I talking to? Because the career advice I give will vary based on who you want me to target that advice towards.
0: Yeah, let's go with a team of one, someone who's just breaking in and is asking for a little bit of help, and not sure how.
1: Team of one, we'll call it RevOps, asking, figuring out how to ask for help. Okay, I think if you're a team of one, You're likely going to have a lot coming at you, particularly if you're a head of ops, because you never, I've never really met a team that has felt like they have had enough headcount when you're in ops. You're generally very understaffed. And in this case, absolutely, because you're a team of one. If you're the first person doing this role, you probably have a lot of people who have had laundry lists of things that they need you to tackle. And so I think the number one thing is get really, really clear with whoever your leader and ideally the leaders are across your stakeholders, because, you know, um, this isn't a democracy necessarily. (laughs) Like if you try to service all of those individuals, you are going to fail every time. So prioritization and alignment with what really matters out the gate and continuing to validate that you're working on the right things is so key. Why? The number of times I've gone into an org where it's been one or two people holding it down and they are burnt out And their level of like OSAT, overall satisfaction, is like a four out of 10 every single time, right? And so usually my role is helping them crawl out of the cave, getting back to a place of balance and having some order. And so I think if you don't have that buffer around you, if you're reporting into the CRO, or maybe there is no CRO, but you have three stakeholders, your job is to hold them accountable, be like, here are what each of your priorities are all of you need to line. Here's what I think we should do. This is what I'm capable of tackling. The goal of this meeting or meetings is to walk out so we have a clear grasp of what I'm going to tackle with 80% of my time. And then I've built in an extra 20% of the things that just always pop up. And we'll have an opportunity to review this on a regular cadence. Do that upfront. You're going to save yourself a lot of firefighting in the end.
0: I love that. Well, Ann, appreciate you coming on and joining us today.
1: Thanks so much, Jeff.